Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all in the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. Back again with my friend and pricing co-host, Jeff Gorman. China. In the news lately, and beyond the drama of global politics, their policy decisions, such as zero COVID tolerance, are having a definite effect on contract and job shop manufacturing. We open this up a little bit and talk about how it affects you and what it means for U.S. manufacturing in particular. Then we get into more pricing strategy, one of my favorites. How to handle customers who cherry pick your quotes, stinging you with the line items you price too low and awarding the juicy parts to someone else. How to handle no quotes. When to no quote, putting a policy in place, and what to say to the customer. This could be a sales opportunity. What to do when an unknown new customer sends in a giant quoting package for the first opportunity. You want to win the business, but man, that's a lot of hours to invest, and you have no idea whether you will win the business. How to build trust with platers so they will help you help them. How to get quick material pricing. You may be implementing all these already, but hopefully we provide a tip or trick that makes your job more elf. Easy, lucrative, and fun. Hat tip to Joe Polish, who coined this term. And now it's time. Jeff, good to see you again. Good to see you as well, Jay. I know you were out at a customer last week, and it's great to be traveling and seeing shops, smelling the metal being cut, because that has a distinctive smell, the oils in the shop. I always get a little adrenaline rush when I step into a shop floor. 
Oh yeah, definitely. You got a whole lot of moving parts, no pun intended. Anytime you're in a shop and actually the, the coolest thing for me is seeing completed parts or parts mm-hmm. partway through the process. You know, they've had one, one or two things done to them and one or two things more to get done. And usually you can see, you know, a part in each stage of, of its manufacturing cycle. And to me, that's pretty cool like to see what people are working on, how they're working on it, you know, what, what's challenging them with specific parts that are on the floor at the moment. Mm-hmm. And every shop's different is what I've learned as I continue to get inside shops. So you never know what you're going to find. One thing I read this morning that I'm still a little bit in disbelief, and that is that China is continuing their zero COVID policy through 2027. And I think that that is a incredibly positive thing for American manufacturers, because if you are a company that's used to getting your parts from China, it's another nail in the coffin that says, hey, the Chinese supply chain is not reliable. And even beyond China, there's many countries in Asia who may get their raw materials from China or may get semi-finished parts from China. And that's going to have a really big impact again on the supply chain. The fact that it can shut down for one, two or more months at any time. And you just don't know when or where it'll happen. What's his no COVID policy? When there is a COVID case detected, they essentially lock down the cities and they are so afraid of COVID spreading in China because the population is older, isn't vaccinated, and they haven't had a lot of COVID. So there's no natural immunity from the people who already had it once. And they're probably right at this point to be fearful because it would rage through their population at this point because the COVID variations that are coming out are much more contagious. Putting aside a lot of the issues around COVID, again, what it means is that they will shut down their entire economies to prevent COVID from spreading. And so, you know, entire shops and and manufacturing plants are shutting down at the drop of a pin, basically, if there's a COVID case in that city or area? Not only that, the ports. You are not able to get stuff in and out, and then you create the backlog of ships that are crossing the Pacific and are sitting outside. It it cascades. I thought that was interesting, and it shows me another reason why I'm bullish on American manufacturing and North American manufacturing. Although there's some stuff going on in Mexico that are making them less reliable as a supply chain partner as well. It's really weird times. Just out of curiosity, it can't be, you know, I understand why that's a positive sign or or would lead you to be more bullish on North American manufacturing, but it can't be all good and great it, you know ships well, no, backed it, up and it, it, i mean got to mean something for american manufacturers as well so how does that how does that affect them for the companies producing parts or products absolutely there's some things that 
are not able to be produced at this time in the U.S. or not at a cost that's anywhere near the price point that the ultimate buyer will pay. And in particular, electronics are a big part of that. The bullishness, though, comes from that as we move from globalization to deglobalization, more manufacturing will be done locally to reduce supply chain risk. The flip side is what we're seeing now is higher inflation. And even if a company produces only 50% of their product or components in the US, it's probably gonna be more expensive than overseas, but they're willing to do that to make sure they stay in business because selling a product at a higher price is better than not having any product to sell at all, which is what some companies found themselves in the position of. But that will contribute to inflation and it's not something that will be resolved in a year or two, in my opinion. It's going to take place over the next decade or so and that will put pressure on inflation and it's probably something we're going to live with for quite a while supply chain invoked inflation because typically the economic cycles were dependent upon there was too much demand for the supply but supply was not constrained at all demand increased more than the supply existed. Now we have a strange case of demand increasing while supply some kind is actually decreasing or going away entirely for periods of time. Let's jump into some nitty gritty though of the pricing stuff that I like. And last episode, we ended on talking a, a little bit about cherry picking of line items by buyers when shops are quoting. And I don't know, do you get questions from that from our customers at all where they're frustrated? Not necessarily frustrated. You know, don't necessarily have customers reaching out saying I've been cherry picked or, you know, they only ordered one part out of the the 70 on this quote. Mm-hmm. But I have had customers, you know, looking to offer like kit quotes. So they they want to offer several lines at once. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's an all or nothing deal. So you can either order all of these parts or none of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily an assembly where these parts are associated with one another. Maybe they're, they're for the same project, but they're not you know, connected via components. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's more of like a, an industry thing. I'm not really too sure. And maybe you have more insight. But... Yeah. Well, and this is difficult to put into a quote and I'll, frame it somewhat in the context of the cherry picking, but let's say you have 10 aluminum parts and they all are black anodized and you have your minimum lot charge for anodizing. Well, if they cherry pick and buy one or two line items, you better make sure your anodizing minimum lot charge is covered. Whereas if they bought all 10 line items, then you're charging them or quoting them 10 minimum lot charges for anodizing is probably not going to cost you if they bought all 10 items much more than the minimum lot charge for all those 10 unique part numbers. 
So what strategy I used and I wanted all the work was to encourage the buyer to buy by saying, if all parts are bought at the same time, we would give you, and I would either put a dollar deduction from the quoted price or a percentage off because sometimes you have different quantities and you're not sure which quantity they're going to pick. So that way I was passing on some, but this is key, not all of the cost savings that I knew I would get by plating the parts at once. Totally. And it seems it's really any sort of like material or I've also heard the case where we have many sheet metal parts on the same quote and they're all the same thickness. Yeah. Um, and we want yeah, to get you, competitive you, on the you quote. Can pu- you can punch your laser them all on the same sheet at the same time, lay them all out. Probably some of the bends are the same. So you, you run them through as a group and there's definite cost savings. How have you gotten around that? Like, was it software programs that you had up and running? No, it was training of the individuals. And we had templates where you could cut and paste language and we would put it right into the top note of the quote because the danger is if you put it into the actual line item pricing that they cherry pick you and you're stuck making that part for a loss because you didn't get covered on the material or the engineering setup or whatever it was. Another aspect of cherry picking is when you quote, let's say 20 parts this time and 10 of them are are money-making aluminum parts and five are maybe a little more difficult steel parts and there's two bears in there and the temptation might be to quote the i'll say call them bears the the really difficult parts the the dogs and because you want to be competitive on the whole package i found through experience that i price the dogs really high and but i price the other say 18 parts where I wanted to win all 18 parts and I would be happy to win 18 out of the 20 parts. And if I didn't win the dogs, great. I wasn't stuck with them, but if I did win them, I was going to get paid for them. So I really sharpened my pencil on the 18 and the, again, the way that you might approach it would be in the note. If all aluminum parts are ordered, you have a 10% discount off of that total those 10 line items. What happens is companies, buyers who I'll say are very price conscious, maybe even evil, they will get three or four quotes and then they'll buy the lowest price for the part from each of the different suppliers. And quoting is an art. You're going to be wrong. You're going to miss things at times. It's tough to be right and protect yourself on every line item. So you, you want to, in my mind, the way you do that is you, you make sure the stuff, you know, is tough. You, you, you keep the price up and then you use a lot discount to protect yourself. How is cherry picking happening? Is it intentional? Are, are people no, playing totally, games? Are to- trying to- totally sneak one by you what, what is it 
it's, it depends on the buyer and the company and some of them will they buy the lowest price. So even though it's more work to create four purchase orders to spread the order across the four different shops who quoted, they don't look at that as a cost and they are going to buy the lowest price at the quantity. Whereas I think smarter buyers, they recognize that there's a cost for creating purchase orders and not only the purchase order, but all the downstream things that come from having multiple orders. So that is something that they weigh and they will try to buy all the parts at once. It's faster, easier, and it typically doesn't cost the company a lot of extra money and may even actually be considering all the other costs, a way to save money. But cherry picking in particular is what you'll see it on dogs, on parts that the customer, the buyer knows are difficult. And if he sees somebody give him a price, that's too good to be true. He'll jump all over it. And he knows he'll never get that price again from the shop, but he's taking the money right now. Yeah. And in, in events you've been cherry picked in the past, how did you, you know, make right of that? Like, are you collecting data on that going back and making changes to pricing tactics or training you know, so, tactics? Sometimes I didn't accept the order. And sometimes even after we accepted the order, cause we were accepting so many orders, I gave the part back and you have to be comfortable doing that with a customer. And it can be really hard if they are a big customer, you have a long-standing relationship, but those are the types of customers typically who won't do that to you. It's the new customer or a peripheral customer. And I was not afraid of jeopardizing the relationship because I made a mistake and they, they knew I did. And they sort of took advantage of us as a shop. I did that in the beginning. And then I put my foot down and said, no, and it's surprising how often they know you did misquote the part. And if you give them a real price, particularly because oftentimes it's a part nobody else wants to do, they will still have you do it for the new price. I didn't expect that, but that was, that was a reality of what happened. Well, if that's the case, then I guess, you know, you did in fact get, get cherry picked and you did the right thing going back to them. Yeah. Another, and talking about dogs, this is something that comes up whenever, not always whenever, this is something that comes up sometimes when you are courting a new customer, they're a prospect, you're trying to win your first order and they want to see what you can do as a shop. And they throw you some of the toughest parts they have. And they may do it to challenge you, prove your mettle. It's almost like going through in a sense, basic training, but I put my foot down on that as well and said, are these, are these the typical parts that you are having shops manufacture? And, and you know that they aren't, they give us, give us a shot at the parts that you're typically making. And we'll see how we look on those. This, this one is a dog, you know, it's a dog. I know it's a dog. And if we establish a relationship we would be happy to work with you to try to figure out how to make these at a 
price that makes sense for us as well as makes sense for you. But I, again, quickly put my foot down that I would not start quoting parts to a new customer or prospect that were the first parts we quoted were dogs. And it's a, it's a philosophy, it's a mindset, but I look at my estimator's time as so valuable. And these types of parts are gonna require the most skilled people in your shop. I don't want them, I don't want both of those people spending time on parts, opportunities that we're not gonna make money on. Yeah, I mean, we, all, we, we talk about win rate and wasting time quoting or spending time quoting the wrong jobs. It seems like this is probably a good place to, to start is the first time someone reaches out to you, make sure that you're really evaluating you know, what, what they're here for and if it, they're a good customer. Well, I know we also measure no quotes, correct? Yeah. And if you are never no quoting parts, I would take a look at the types of parts that you win that you don't want or don't win and then perhaps took a lot of time to quote, you know, maybe. And what I mean by that is it's a special material or a special length or grade material, something where it takes you a lot of legwork to figure it out. And they had no intention of giving you the work anyways, because it really wasn't in your wheelhouse. Right. And you can start to identify that upfront before you ever spend any time. Yeah. You want, and this is really critical for the junior estimators is you want to give them guardrails so that they, if you, if it's a sheet metal part, and we had a couple of rules. If it was over a certain length, we didn't quote it. If it was over a certain thickness, we didn't quote it. If it weighed more than X number of pounds, and my rule of thumb was I want one person to be able to move this part through the shop. If they've got to call somebody else over because it either weighs too much or is too big and bulky, then that's not a shop. Then that's not a part I want in our shop. No quote, no quote, no quote. And in sales, they teach you, you want to get to know as fast as possible so you can move on to the opportunities where you want a yes and there could be a yes. Can't, can't argue with that. Um, when you know quote parts, this, this is sort of trailing off here, but I'm just curious, are you reaching out to customers and telling them why you're no quoting them? Yes. Yeah, we, we absolutely did that. But we went beyond that. We told them what we were good at as well. So we used it as a sales opportunity, a marketing opportunity in a sense, by letting them know these are the types of parts you want to send to us. Yeah. And I, I would imagine that that builds some form of trust with, with the customer, at least in my experience, not estimating parts, but you know, fielding product requests for paperless parts or feedback, mm -hmm. things customers would like to see. Mm -hmm. when we can't do it. And I tell them we can't do it. You know, they're usually pretty understanding and say, here's what we can do, or here's how we can help in that department. It just yeah. builds trust. And You're absolutely right. You want to create the opportunity for a conversation with the potential buyer. And specifically in the purchasing roles of your customers, think about the people who you are engaging with. Many of them have never been in a shop. They are not engineers. They may not have had training on how to read blueprints. 
they don't know. It's not malicious that they're sending you a part that doesn't fit in your shop. It's they haven't been put in a position to help you succeed. And if you are able to have that conversation and help them learn, help them do their job better, more efficiently, become, as you said, that trusted partner, then you have the opportunity to win their business and the type of business that you want. I'll give you another example to Jeff. Go ahead, Jeff. You had a question. I was going to say, it doesn't even always have to be the part, right? It might be the quantity, the material. It yes. might be just not worth the squeeze, even though it's something you could make in your sleep. If it just doesn't make sense for if, you to do. If you are a production shop, you may have a rule. Quantities 10 and under don't get quoted. It, it's not worth your time. It's not what you do or you approach it in a different way. Sorry to spin off there. What, what were you about to? So uh, uh, another piece of this is when you are working with a new prospect and they send in a really large quoting package. And I'm saying maybe 25 items, 50 items, and you've never done business with them before. And it's going to take you at least a day, maybe days to put out a quote to them. And you have no idea if you're going to win the work or not. So after I did that a couple of times, because in the beginning of Rapid, I did all the quoting. I said, this is not how I want to spend my time. So I would call up the customer and I, this was mandatory. I needed to talk with them. It wasn't an email. It wasn't text messaging. I needed to talk with them to do this. And I said, thank you for the opportunity to compete for your business. I see that you sent in a real large quote package. And honestly, that's going to take me a lot of time. And I probably wouldn't get it back to you in a time that would impress you. So what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is look through, pick five different part numbers that represent the different materials, uh, sizes, anything within the package. So to give you a flavor of where our shop will come in on price and delivery, would that work for you? And if can we have a conversation after I send those five pieces into you to see whether it makes sense for us to continue to quote the rest of the package. And part of that, I'll need feedback on you. And I'll, I'll ask you if we were in the ballpark on these five parts and the other parts that I quote are also within the same range, are we going to win the business and find out again, using this as a sales tool, find out what do we got to do to win the business? And if we don't have a shot at winning the business, then I'm not going to take the time to quote 50 parts or have my estimators do that. And the other part of it too, is I would also ask how many folks do you have quoting this, this project, this package? And if they said five, for instance, I would say, how are you evaluating? What is going to be your buying criteria? How are you going to make your decision? Is it price? Is it lead time? Yeah. And for us, we were never the low price shop. And if they said price, I would say, well, thank you for the opportunity. I respectfully declined to quote that because we, we won't win on price. And uh, it, I'm wasting your time. And tell them they were wasting my time but that was sort of inferred. 
And other times people would say, it, it, it opens up the conversation. They might say, yeah, we, we had a shop that was making these and they went out of business. So we've gone out to five shops and we're trying to find a new supplier to replace these guys. Well, then you have a lot more opportunity to delve in what makes a good supplier to you, what's important, and really find out whether you can win the job or not, and also develop the rapport so that let's say there's the five shops and you and another shop are sort of in a dead heat. You've developed that relationship or started to hopefully more than the other shop so that you can have that conversation and say, well, what will get us over the finish line? And they may ask for a faster delivery. They might ask for some parts earlier than others. You, you get to have that. And again, it's, I know a lot of people don't like to talk to customers but the more you talk to a customer, then the more likely you are to win the job. Yeah, I mean, brings me back to that idea of building trust. I think in, in both cases that you brought up, if I were to try to put myself in a buyer's shoes, you know, the fact that you're reaching out and telling me that you know, I, I can't do better on price or I, I want this job and I'm going to attempt to quote you five part numbers and then see if we're on the same page. Mm -hmm. I would just build, build trust, uh, you know, for me as a buyer. And I, I think that does go a long way, especially in this industry, at least from what I've understood, you know, working, working with shops. Yeah. And I want to bring into it, the trust part, something that you were talking to me before we started recording. And that's about successful shops have developed trust with their suppliers so for example, they're platers. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, the, we all know that estimating is tough and a, a tough component of that can be getting outside pricing. So like you got to go to your plate or your powder coating, any outside vendor, whether it's material purchase components to get a price for something, send a, an outside RFQ. It's just you know, another email to send or another phone call to make. And of course, that that's a constraint in when you can turn the quote around. If you can't figure out your price for the stock material, probably can't cost out the part too good. Mm -hmm. So what I've seen shops doing more and more lately, and I think in part uh, through our teams suggesting it and onboarding and letting them know it's worked well with other shops is reaching out to their vendors. In particular, I think plating and things like powder coating, anodizing. And asking them, say, hey, you know, how are you pricing out plating? And they ask the vendor that, is it a square inch cost? Is there a minimum lot charge? Is there a you know, weight or complexity factor that you guys are using? And typically, you know, the vendors have something on hand that they may or may not be willing to provide to the shop. Mm -hmm. But if you can explain why, they're, why you're asking for this as a shop, it, it may help the vendor be willing to do that. So I, I'm going to send you less requests. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to price out small jobs or certain parts a little quicker by just estimating yeah. the cost on my own instead of reaching out to you. And if you're a vendor, that means probably savings for you as well. I'm still going to come to you and get the plating done if I win the job, but I'm just not going to reach out to you and make you put together a quote and send it back to me. If anything, you're the vendor, you know, 
draft to send time is a factor in, in winning mm-hmm. estimates. So if, if your shops can get quotes back to their customers quicker, that downstream effect should take to the vendor. If there's more orders at the shop, there's more plating for the vendor. So I've seen yeah. that work really well. And, and usually for plating and painting, the, the logic can be captured in a table. So you get, yes, you have a column for a minimum lot charge, and then you have a cost per, per square inch, let's say. Mm-hmm. You know, we could pull the, the area of the model and weigh out the cost per square inch times the part quantity versus that minimum lot charge, just like we were talking about with the cherry picking, yeah. you know, and then apply a markup or whatever it might be. And then we're in the ballpark typically for our service costs. Yep. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever gotten these types of materials from vendors you've worked with in the past, but I'm definitely seeing a lot of shops do that or come up with it on their own where they say, okay, I've sent these parts myself to the vendors and here's how much they charge me and they figure out the math on their own. Absolutely. You can, you can do that. Here is something that I used because I wanted to get a quick price to plug into my quote and get it out. And when we started at rapid, we only were doing sheet metal. And sometimes we had machine parts that were part of a package and it took forever to get a machine part quote back but I had a good sense of what the part cost should be. And I would either print out the drawing and this is way back in the days of, of, of faxes. So I guess we're emailing and scanning today, but I, w- I would throw a, a price on it or print out the 3d model, throw some stuff on it. But either way I would send it over to a machine shop or several shops and say, here's the parameters of the part. Here's, what I'd like to pay for this quantity. Are you good with that? Yes or no. And they were really fast in responding to that because they knew intuitively whether they were making money or not at that price. And oftentimes they would, if they said no, they would, if I said 25 bucks apart, they'd say no, 30. Boom. They knew what it was going to cost. They didn't have to but I gave them a tool so they, or a mechanism so they didn't have to go and actually quote and do all the, the legwork of estimating. And that was pretty effective. Well, and then you know you're making money too, likely as well. So you've yeah. said, okay, this is how much I'm going to pay for the service costs. I know what I'm doing on my side of the house. And then mm-hmm. here's what's left over. Yep. So oh, yeah. Win win yeah. situation. Yep. Excellent. I mean, other ways this can get done too is material, just a pain in the, you know, what nowadays you can get some sort of cost per pound for just your standard or most used materials can go a long way. If, I mean, if you're a sheet metal shop, maybe you only really use a few different materials and sheet sizes. And if you can try to get some costing into a table format from your local vendors or whoever it is that you lean on, you can probably quote a lot quicker and maybe you get in some cadence with the vendor where you're getting some materials from them every Monday or every few days. And I think it just helps save a lot of admin work between both parties. One way that you can shortcut things from a material standpoint is online metals is integrated into paperless parts viewer. And you can quickly get material pricing and it is up-to-date material pricing. They 
are probably the fastest folks out there, but they're not the least expensive. Sometimes though, delivery is more important than price. However, if delivery isn't important, maybe you know that there's a ratio or a percentage of their cost that you would be able to buy the material for if you were willing to wait for it. And so it, that's a rough rule of thumb that you can apply to quickly put a material cost down into your quote. Right. If you take the highest cost, you know that maybe you can do a little better if and when it does come time to order the material. So you're probably covered. But you got to be careful if you're quoting a large quantity in material price may impact the overall cost and you wouldn't win the job. So you've got to feel comfortable that you know that you can buy it for say 85% of the online material price and plug that number in. So how do you come up with that 85%? You just using data to figure that out? Like here's what I've purchased for in the past. Yeah. It's, you, you get a slow day, probably we don't have those anymore, but you get a slow day and you look at a bunch of jobs and you, you create your table or spreadsheet or whatever, put in the online metals price and then the price that you bought it for or got quoted. And you know, yeah, we actually had a customer at Rapid in a way who did this. We had a instant quoting tool for sheet metal parts that worked inside of SolidWorks. And he knew that he could buy production parts. I don't know what the percentage was of our cost, but let's say the production part was going to be 60% of our quoted price at whatever quantity. And that was a really fast and easy way for their engineers to build in production pricing in their bill of materials for the you know, when they're actually going to go into full-blown production fast and easy. So similar, but different. We also had a customer who told us that they would periodically run all their sheet metal parts through it. And if there was a supplier who was essentially charging more than they should be, they are based upon that percentage they went back to them and they knew they could probably get a price discount on that part where they were paying too much. So they're just assessing the pad on the part, basically when it went yeah. into production. So and it, typically it, it, it you was, know, 70% of the prototype cost is the production or maybe less. I'm just throwing yeah. a number out there. I have yeah. no idea, but that makes total sense. And we didn't care because it didn't cost us anything to quote. It was all automated. We didn't even know what was happening. And the same thing with online metals is it doesn't, cost them any money to give you a quote on their metal cost and the flip side and which was for us the more often you're using our quoting mechanism in SolidWorks the more likely you would think to give us an order and the same thing for online metals the more likely in the case of an emergency when you need some metal fast you're going to go to online metals because that's who's in the forefront of your mind yeah all great points well Jeff This has been a fun conversation today, not necessarily into the mechanics of the pricing, but a lot of the philosophies and mindsets. And this is one of the reasons I I love quoting and estimating. It's there's so many nuances and rules you can create as well to spend the least amount of time to win the most profitable jobs. Totally. And 
you can't understand what those rules are without understanding the philosophy. So I think it's good to talk about both. And my philosophy may be different than your philosophy. However, I hope that from our discussion that you think about what your philosophies are and maybe create those rules and those codes of estimating for you and your team. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me today, Jay. Until next time, for all you shop owners and operations folks out there, keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Have a super day. Thanks for listening to the Job Shop Show podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do I read every single one, it also helps me understand what content matters most to you. Thanks again for listening to the Job Shop Show.